Readers, writers, listeners, welcome. This is the Page Turners Podcast, and I'm your host, Miranda, an avid reader, a novice writer, and a longtime listener of podcasts. I decided it was time that I dove in and created my own podcast. So here we go. This is the Page Turners Podcast, episode 11. Welcome back! We took last week off for a little reset from the craziness and busyness of Read Across America Week. And let me tell you guys, it was such a phenomenal week. I'm so thankful to have this platform to spark a change in literacy rates. It's something I'll be eternally grateful for. Um, But like I said, kind of a crazy, busy week. I planned something for essentially every day of Read Across America Week and to dive right in to Reading Month. Um, As you may know, we started off with a special episode of the Page Turners podcast where we got to hear from Oliver James. I did two classroom visits. I also put out an episode that I was really looking forward to. I got to speak with PC Cast, who is somebody that I have looked up to and admired for years and years. I read her series, The House of Night, uh, when I was in middle and high school. So two really amazing episodes last week. We've got more amazing episodes coming, don't you worry. But anyway, so two podcast episodes. We had two uh, classroom visits. I had a gubernatorial proclamation uh, for reading month. I announced a public service announcement and uh, did a a book drive with my gym here in Rapid City. So just a jam-packed amazing week. I'm still like riding on a high from it, but I also was a little tired. That's why we took off last week. But like I said, this is an opportunity that I'm going to be forever grateful for. You know, this is a platform unlike any other, not just this podcast, but being a part of the Miss America opportunity and just kind of having that push to make change and to start something like this podcast to be able to reach, you know, more people than just my little corner of the world. So Anyway, we're back and we're diving into episode 11. So this week we're hearing from another unique author, as always. Now he grew up in the same area that I did, just about 45 minutes away and 25 years earlier. (laughs) I'm always drawn to highlighting Midwestern and South Dakota authors, but this one was special because they're a cookbook author, so something completely different. They're specifically highlighting indigenous cuisine. So talking about roots and representation, today's guest is an Oglala Lakota James Beard Award-winning chef, businessman, and nonprofit founder. Today we have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Sean Sherman. So I am a chef and restaurant owner in Minneapolis. I currently um, have a restaurant called Awamni. Um, It's very popular. We won Best New Restaurant in the United States last year with the James Beard Foundation. And I grew up in South Dakota, so I was born and raised on Pine Ridge Reservation, and I moved to Spearfish um, before high school, and I graduated in Spearfish and went to Black Hill State. And then after Black Hill State, I moved to Minneapolis and continued working in restaurants, because I started working in restaurants in Spearfish when I was like 13 years old, and uh, worked kind of all over the hills, Deadwood, um, up in Spearfish Canyon, um, up at Sylvan Lake, and just all over Spearfish, of course. So I just kind of started my cooking career as a young kid there. Um, I also worked with the U.S. Forest Service when I was right out of high school. So I was in the in the northern, uh, in the Spearfish uh, one. And uh, just um, that job when I was 18 years old, I had a, you know, as a field surveyor, I had to learn the names of all the trees and plants out there in the northern black hills um, which came in rather handy later in life 
So my chef career in Minneapolis um, is, you know, I started off just working lots of different kinds of restaurants. I worked Spanish restaurants, Italian restaurants, French restaurants, sushi, all sorts yeah. of things, and just you know, built myself up. Um, and then a few years into my uh, chef career, I turned chef in Minneapolis when I was, you know, 27 or something like that, 28. Um, so I was pretty young still, but um, a few years into chef career in Minneapolis, I kind of had the epiphany of doing what I'm doing right now, which is looking at my own heritage, being Lakota and Oglala on top of that, and trying to understand what my ancestors were eating, um, what were they, you know, what kind of foods did they have around them, you know, what were they growing things, were they trading with other groups, how were they finding things like salts and fats and sugars, and just really thinking about everything through a culinary perspective. Um, and as I started studying that, I started um, really kind of seeing a lot of other indigenous groups and cultures. And so today we really focus on primarily North America. Um, so we really look at Mexico through Alaska and just think about all the land spaces, all the different indigenous peoples and what was here long before European colonization happens. And, you know, I didn't have to go back very far because the history of who we are, especially Lakota, like we were still battling the United States government into the 1890s. So I was only looking at my great-grandfather's generation and trying to understand what was lost and just trying to understand you know because of things like boarding schools and assimilation and depression and all the things that have happened to us as indigenous peoples like you know where are we and you know what did we lose what kind of knowledge did we lose so food is such an important part because food is something that really ties us together which is why I just really wanted to do something that really ties into an understanding of the past but also utilizing that understanding to move it forward you know from here on now because we obviously have a lot of health epidemic and health uh, foodborne illnesses on on communities like where I grew up um, and a lot of that's because of the lack of nutrition and you know for me growing up on commodity foods and not really having what a sense of true Lakota foods were except for a handful of dishes um, like I just really wanted to make changes to that so in Minneapolis I started up the company called the Sioux Chef um, as a play on words S-I-O-U-X <laughs> Um, as, as most people will know, and um, it's really kind of taken off, you know, so I started, uh, I had a food truck called Tatanka Truck, uh, we had a catering company, the cookbook came out in 2017, uh, it was, it's called yeah. the Chef's Indigenous Kitchen, um, it's, uh, it also won a James Beard Award in 2018 for Best American Cookbook. Um, I started a nonprofit called Natives, uh, which is an acronym for North American Traditional Indigenous Food Systems. And we have a nonprofit kitchen in Minneapolis called Indigenous Food Lab that we do a lot of uh, work through. So Indigenous Food Lab, we're about ready to open up a native market space. Um, and uh, it'll be a place where people have uh, the ability to purchase Indigenous food products from Indigenous food producers. So things like dried corn and maple and beans and chilies and wild rice and whatever, whatever we can find that people producing we want to create a space for that we're also creating an indigenous classroom so we can teach about all facets of indigenous focused education and which can include everything from history and food and culinary and food preservation medicinals crafting sewing beading language music it could be anything that is our indigenous focused education and basically we're setting up that system to record and put everything on our website um, so people have access to all that knowledge base. And we're already working on creating extensions of Indigenous Food Lab into other regions around uh, North America because we want to create regional center points for more development of, indi of healthy Indigenous food operations. So we've actually been looking at creating the first few extensions in Anchorage, Alaska, Bozeman, Montana, and Rapid City, South Dakota. Mm -hmm. 
So the we'll see what well, we you know we're kind of scaling those food lab models to see what they need, but we're just trying to create a support system, and we're able to do a lot of really good work with our food with our food lab. We've been working with uh, Red Cloud School down on Pine Ridge this last year, and we really want to help them develop healthier indigenous restaurant or menu, sorry healthier indigenous <laughs> recipes um, mm-hmm. for their school and helping them. Uh, we're basically going to help them by giving them a whole bunch of new restaurant or kitchen equipment because all their kitchen equipment was really old and dated. Um, so through our nonprofit, we're going to be helping revamp their kitchen basically. So they have, so they'll have the ability to make really good, healthy food in the future. Um, and, you know, so there's another cookbook in the works um, Very cool. through Clarkson Potter. And uh, I am uh, trying to get the manuscript turned in this year at some point. <laughs> it's a big project. Um, <laughs> You know, it's exciting. It's looking at North America um, through the lens of an indigenous perspective and looking at everything from Mexico through Alaska and showcasing all the amazing diversity that's out there and getting people to think about the value of the knowledge of indigenous peoples, both uh, past, present and the future of just understanding how we could deal with things like water crisis and climate change and looking at the world differently and utilizing a lot more plant diversity in our diets. So the restaurant Awamni that we opened um, was really kind of a proof of concept that we can have a decolonized restaurant. So um, to explain that, we removed um, foods that were introduced um, through colonialism. So -hmm. we took away things like dairy products, wheat flour, um, cane sugar, beef, pork, and chicken typically. So we utilize a lot of game, a lot of birds, a lot of fish, a lot of um, indigenous grown products uh, like corns and beans and squash and chilies and sunflowers, um, a lot of wild foods. And we try to make food taste like where we happen to be so it can really pay homage to those cultures of where they might be at. So in Minneapolis, we use a lot of foods that are from here, from the Great Lakes region and the forests. Um, But as we move around, we've done lots of work in South Dakota where we're doing things that come from from the Great Plains, using things like Timsala, which is a wild prairie turnip that still grows out there, lots of bison, of course, and just things that you find growing in the Black Hills that people kind of overlook, you know. Um, so we just have a lot of fun and it changes everywhere we go. You know, we've mm-hmm. been all over the United States. We've worked with lots of tribal communities. Um, we've been up in Alaska, down in Mexico, the West Coast, the East Coast, all over the place. Um, and we're really just setting up a system to do this. But, you know, I feel like it's time for people to start to wake up. It also gives us an opportunity to talk about a lot of the atrocities that happened against Indigenous peoples um, and really showcase, um, again, like the value of celebrating diversities out there instead of trying mm-hmm. to homogenize everything and hide hide from histories you know because so many states like Florida and South Dakota have been like trying to hide um, some of these histories you know and it's really awful because we should just be aware of what happened Um, so food happens to carry a lot of story because it's extremely powerful language and we not only see this as an as a situation just here in North America but basically across the globe because indigenous peoples everywhere South America Central America Africa India Southeast Asia Australia New Zealand Hawaii everywhere have been um, affected by colonialism, especially European colonialism, which has been extremely brutal. And we're just trying to showcase of how, ways and paths that we can start to reclaim some of our ancestral knowledge bases, but also um, more importantly, um, are uh, trying to create what is a possibility of how we can eat healthier um, and utilize a lot of that knowledge moving forward. Wow, I think we can just take a second to everybody applaud because just hearing all of the things that you've done and you're doing, I I grew up in Martin, South Dakota. My dad's side of the family is Oglala, Lakota. Yeah, and so, I, I went to school in Batesland. That's okay. Kind of, I grew up on a ranch, not too like it was a ways out there. It was a little village called Wakpomni. We were pretty yep. close. To that. 
Okay. It's, it's crazy how much of a small world it is. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but it's, it's really, really cool to hear the work that you're doing because I, I mean, I grew up around the Oglala Lakota culture and around Native American cultures and more people need to know about it. And I think food is, is an approachable way for people to begin to learn and to begin to understand what's happened in the past. You know, it's a way for people to start making those connections and start opening themselves up to learning about more than just the food. So I think that is so amazing and incredible. Thanks. Yeah, we have a big team because we have over 100 workers at the restaurant alone and probably around over 40 people at the nonprofit and we're growing fast. Um, and again, I'm really excited to hopefully create this model over there in Rapid City so it could do a lot of that same work and just really help a lot of the tribal communities bring awareness to indigenous foods and create access to that. So our nonprofit is really built on two pillars of just creating access to indigenous foods and creating access to indigenous education because they both go hand in hand. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's huge, you know, talking about even just food and education as a whole, you know, we've seen that if a kid doesn't eat, they're not going to learn, you know, so it goes hand in hand for sure. And what I'm doing, especially with this podcast, it's called Page Turners Fall in Love with Reading. So specifically, it's looking at literacy and the importance of that. Um, so you, you have written a cookbook, you've got another one in the works. I want to know a little bit about where the inspiration came to actually create that cookbook and to put, you know, the recipes on a page and to talk about culture in that way. Yeah, I mean, as I started researching, like the knowledge of trying to find what I was looking for just wasn't out there, you know, and I would tease in some of the talks that I do because I've traveled all over the country doing lots of presentations and speaking engagements. And I would say that I couldn't just go online and order Joy of Native American Cooking because it just didn't exist, you know. Mm -hmm. So I had this opportunity to create something that just wasn't out there in the world, but was really needed. So I just wanted to do something that really showcased um, kind of the philosophy of the work that we were doing and opening up people's eyes to start to think about, you know, an indigenous perspective on food and culinary, because as indigenous peoples, we've been so invisible for so long. And I just really wanted to showcase uh, that through recipes and through, you know, just, you know, what, what, what does a modern indigenous food look like? Because we're not trying to cook like the past. We're not trying to cook like it's 1491. Mm -hmm. We're really doing this for the present day and moving forward because our, you know, at the restaurant, because we removed all those colonial ingredients, you know, we're gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, soy-free, pork-free. So it's like, what every fad diet's trying to get to basically you know mm -hmm. and it just happens to be the diet of what is indigenous north america so and we because of that diet we could do a lot of good and and uh, change and have a lot of impact with the situations that are out there especially on a lot of tribal communities because you know growing up on pine ridge we didn't have access to a lot of food we didn't have fast food restaurants back then we didn't have any restaurants on pine ridge back then and you know we had the one grocery store and we'd have to drive to gordon or uh, Rapid City, uh, typically to go to get, you know, grocery foods, basically, um, or Martin or whatever. But it was really hard to find, you know, I mean, growing up in the country, you have to drive an hour sometimes just to get to a grocery store. And that's still a reality for a lot of people out there. So commodity food programs, just all of the government can stuff, which is not good for us. And there's reasons why some of our communities can have upwards to 60% type 2 diabetes because of this really unhealthy food base. So being able to do something that carried that philosophy and show how it showed how easy it is to start to understand and bring back indigenous foods into our modern world and utilize it. Um, that was really the purpose of this book was just to create something that just needed to be there. 
I love that. Create something that just needed to be there. I think that's really impactful. Um, you're telling me you don't love commodity cheese? Is that your favorite thing in the world? You know, I grew up with it and, you know, we had lots of recipes and it has a place mm -hmm. in my childhood for sure, but I want people to have healthier food than that. Um, so yeah, I, my grandma, I mean, she loved using commodity cheese. We would go to her house and she always had it sliced up or she had it in something. Um, mm -hmm. I was thankful when we finally kind of broke her of wanting to use it. <laughs> Yeah. It's for those of you that that don't know um, what commodity cheese is while listening, you can definitely look it up. But yeah, not the best thing for you for sure. So no, it's not even real food. So yeah. <laughs> if it doesn't taste good, yeah, a whole tangent. <laughs> but <laughs> um, so you grew up on the Pine Ridge Reservation. You grew up in South Dakota. Grew up in the Midwest. Talk with me a little bit about how that kind of created who you are and created the person who who wants to share his culture today and wants to kind of share this message across the United States, even across the world. Yeah, I mean, I you know, just growing up on Pine Ridge in the 70s and early 80s, you know, we spent a lot of time outside and I just think, you know, I don't think a lot of kids have that kind of childhood anymore. You know, we were just a little bit wild and we were just always out there and, you know, we just had a lot of fun, you know, and we saw like status of things that were going on. You know, we saw people having a rough time um, and, you know, we just, I just really wanted to do something that was going to be impactful for how I grew up and that can make some positive changes for um, people that are still struggling out there. And, you know, and, uh, you know, we grew up with not a lot of money and, you know, and when my mom, when my mom moved us to Spearfish, you know, she was going back to school at the time and raising two kids and she had to take three jobs and it was just a lot, you know, so I just really wanted to do something different. And, you know, I just saw a lot of racism growing up too, especially in South Dakota. And I just, you know, I just really think that if people had a better understanding of each other, then that can really curb that, you know, mm -hmm. food is such a powerful language because food really opens up people to thinking about things differently you know because um, you just whatever food you might be trying like the first time you try something like sushi or, or Ethiopian food or whatever it might be you start to think about those cultures you know and you know for indigenous peoples especially um, places like Pine Ridge like we've had so much of our food and our knowledge removed about our foods that we have to start methods to bring those back and we have because it can make all of us healthier happier um, and just you know a lot more proud of who we are and what we are because food is such a cultural identifier and it's totally possible like we can do that and there's no reason why we shouldn't have a, like a native restaurant um, mm -hmm. somewhere all over the place number one but especially in places like rapid city or the black hills because there's so much tourism and good luck finding anything that's truly native out there you know mm -hmm. like you can stop at prairie's edge or something like that or the drum company across the street there um, but good luck going and finding something like in keystone that has anything to do with the, the the Lakota whose land that it's on you know right and so we just really want to make some positive changes we don't you know I think food has a lot of positive gift and it's a, like I said it's an extremely strong language um, and people will listen to food and so that's why I think it's helped me with everything that I've done to get to where I am I apologize. I have a cat. I saw your cat. Loves to be the center of attention, I and he's that. currently crawling in and out of the cupboard. <laughs> um, but he's he's done now. It's okay. he's almost three years old, so he's like a toddler. No worries. <laughs> he makes an appearance in every interview I do. I tell you. That's so funny. <laughs> um, I I think that's really cool, and and I hope that 
you know, you're able to bring something to Rapid. Maybe this inspires somebody else to open up a restaurant in Rapid. I, my first year of school um, was on the reservation. My mom taught at Loneman. And oh, yeah. so we, I remember the lunch lady making like so much of the food was homemade and she would make us wojapi at least once a week. And I, I haven't been able to find like that specifically is something that I remember. And I remember watching her make it and just the joy that she had serving it to us. And that's something that I can't find. And to be able to, to try other things that I don't even know about that other people in our area have no idea are reflective of, of the area and of the culture. I think that will be so amazing to see. And I, I hope others are inspired to make that happen as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just think that uh, there, uh, there's just a lot of work to do, you know, oh, and yeah. I'm really excited to start to do some work directly back in South Dakota. Um, I'm really happy to have this opportunity to work, um, to to have this, op- just, I'm, I'm just really excited to have this opportunity to build something there too, and to share what we've been building. You know, I just really want to see some positive changes out there. And I really want to see healthy food out there. I want to see, you know, just kids having access to this and seeing the difference of what happens if they eat the their healthy foods that are from their ancestry compared to like all the junk food that's out there, you know? Um, so we'll just see what happens. And I'm just going to continue to set up systems that develop more education and curriculum and books and foodways and all the things you know I, I, there's there's definitely ways we can be moving forward in a positive fashion absolutely with page turners it's an initiative that i created with my time with the miss america um, organization and it has kind of three main pillars, if you will, um, access, education, and representation. And I think those are very reflective of even what you're doing with your push to share Native American food and culture. But I want to talk specifically about representation and the importance of, of sharing you know, your story and making sure that that's visible. Why is it so important that you do what you do and people open up about their stories, you know, whether they share that in the form of a cookbook or they share that in the form of a podcast or they share that in the form of a novel? I mean, that's a big question, uh, but of course, like it is important. It is important mm-hmm. for us to find a passion. And, you know, I would hope people would want to help people, you know, and, you know, for me, food is so important, but also just thinking about the whole food system, you know, to me, that's what's really important. And I just, we have to think about water crisis. We have to think about climate change. We have to think about, you know, uh, monocrops and the damage that those situations do. And we just need to think about like, what are we going to do to feed ourselves in the future? And how can we create healthier food systems in general? So for me, that's just my passion, you know? So I just hope that other people find a passion in some way. Um, And there's, there's just so much to do out there. So I'm just, you know, excited that, uh, this book that we put out, um, and I worked really hard. My co-author, her name is Beth Dooley. Um, she, I couldn't have done it without her. You know, she was this amazing, she is this amazing cookbook author here in Minnesota and Minneapolis, and she um, just helped me through this whole way, you know, and I re- I'm really appreciative of her for that first book because we didn't have any high expectations of how popular it would be or anything. We just mm-hmm. really wanted to create it just so we could utilize it, so we could share it as we moved around and did the education. Um, but obviously that book has been very popular and 
and you know I hope people can check it out and you know it's just you know some people get scared about what they can or can't cook out of it mm -hmm. uh, but you know it's just for me it's just about the philosophy like I think people can make the recipes any way they want to it's just we're just trying to lay the philosophy down on the paper so I just hope that you know as people create all their projects of whatever they're doing that they just put that passion forward and think about how people will utilize it and for me this has never been like an ego project because again like this stuff just needs to be out there so again this podcast is about reading that that's kind of the the main point and i've gotten to talk with all sorts of different types of authors people just who have unique journeys with reading so it's it's really not focused too heavily on authors <laughs> specifically but I, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you a few of my author-related questions. So are you much of a reader? Were you much of a reader growing up? Yeah, I read a ton of books when I was a kid because I grew up in the era, you know, I'm a Gen X, obviously. So I grew up in an era where there were a lot of books. We didn't have the internet to jump onto back then. We didn't have smartphones in our pockets back then. So I read a lot. And when my mom moved us to uh, Spearfish when I was young in junior high, um, I was um, I would just go with her as she would study and she would be hanging out in the library doing her studies and stuff. And for me, that was so amazing because I didn't have that access on Pine Ridge. We didn't have a, a library to go to out in the middle of the plains, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, I just would sit there for hours and just absorb whatever I wanted to back then, you know, back then when kids knew how to use the Dewey Decimal System and find whatever book you needed to on the shelves. And, you know, I just read as much as I could um, all through high school. And that was always such an important part. And, you know, when I tried to, when I had this epiphany of doing what I'm doing, of trying to understand indigenous foods and the foods of my ancestry, uh, I turned to books, you know? So I knew that my ancestors had a huge, vast knowledge of the wild, the world around them, the plants, the animals, how to harvest things, when to harvest things, the names of things, and they had deep relationships with everything, you know, so I started with really just looking at a lot of ethnobotany because that little stint that I did at the Forest Service and Spearfish just really helped me to see that there's so much plant life out there that can be utilized you know so I wanted to see how are people utilizing things but those books can be very dry too sometimes <laughs> sometimes it'll just you know be like this plant was used for medicine by Native Americans like something so general you know right or would, and or would say something like Europeans used it to make wine or something out of it <laughs> you're like give me more <laughs> right so I also had to teach myself to just be active and just like be outdoors you know so I had the epiphany when, of doing what I'm doing. I was living in Mexico for a little while mm -hmm. on the West Coast, um, a little north of Puerto Vallarta in the state of Nayarit. And that's where I just really had this you know, vision of what I wanted to do. Um, so I moved from Mexico to Montana and I, I moved up to where my dad was living up by Red Lodge. Um, I just took a chef job working outside and just wanted to reconnect with nature. you know. And it was great to be close to that area because the Beartooth Mountains are there and the plains are there. So there's two different vast ecosystems and I was able to just like start to reconnect with the with the natural world you know and then I moved back to Minnesota and uh, started to do attempt to do some of these dinners and try, try to do like what trying to define what I was doing you know and trying to define my philosophy and so I, I formed my company officially in 2014 um, and things just took off right off the bat. I got the book deal um, right away and started working on that book early 2015, um, and it was published by late 2017. So it was a pretty quick turnaround, you know. Um, 
Yeah, but I was just able to use all this life experience, you know, and when I found the path of that I'm on, I, when I looked backwards, I was kind of already always on it, you know, so it was this experience of growing up uh, among my Lakota family and being out there on Pine Ridge, and the experience of being connected to the Black Hills and just being outdoors, you know, whether I'm running around in the Badlands or the Great Plains or the, or the hills or wherever. But just all of that life experience, you know, and just living my whole life in restaurant kitchens because mm -hmm. that's just where my career took me and just understanding how food worked, you know. Um, and for me, that was the key to start to unlock all of this past and all of this history. Very, very cool. Do you have a favorite book? I know that's kind of a hard question. I, I think I've every person I've asked has either gone, no, I don't have one. Or I have like 17, but do you, do you have one book yeah, as the one that was inspirational for you? I don't know. When I was younger, I was so in love with the, with Dune, you know, the mm -hmm. book. And I just thought that for a science fiction novel, that was such an amazing book. I think I probably read it five times, you oh, know, wow. in college. I just really loved that story so much. Um, but I love lots of books, you know, and I read a lot more history. A lot of, I read a lot more nonfiction. I have a, lots of cookbooks, of course, you know. Right. So I just, you know, I still love, I still love books a lot. Um, and there's just a lot to learn out there. Absolutely. I think that transitions perfectly into, um, you know, I said that the purpose of my page turners initiative is to focus on literacy rates and to increase those by creating and sustaining a passion for reading. Maybe you've never thought about this. Maybe I'm throwing you a curveball. But how do you think we do that? How do we flip the script on the literacy rates that we see, especially, you know, here in South Dakota and on the reservations? How do we increase literacy rates? How do we create that passion in the next generation of readers? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a different time right now, you know, because we're all stuck on all these digital platforms and phones and screens and things. And, you know, uh, books are not the way they used to be, basically, you know, um, but I think it's really important for uh, us to continue to develop more books, um, to develop a lot more cultural relevant books, too. I think there's a lot of opportunity for people to put a lot of that perspective down because we didn't have that many books that were based on Lakota growing up, you know, and I see a lot more today, but we're still a huge opportunity to continue to utilize that platform to tell a lot of stories because there's so much rich story in Lakota culture. And then you think about like all the tribes that are out there, you know, and there's so many because there's what 574 tribes across the United States right now or something like that 622 in Canada and like 20% of Mexico identifies as indigenous you know so I just think that there's a lot of work to do and books are really a great way to do that whether they're fiction or nonfiction or or kids or books, cookbook. or cookbooks <laughs> anything that can get people interested and curious you know and that's what books are there for so lots of opportunity absolutely <clears throat> I think that's pretty much everything I need. Uh, is there anything else, you know, that you maybe wanted to share anything that you've kind of, you know, felt like, oh, we missed this? Um, not really. You know, if people are interested, they can find the book online. Um, I know that it's around. I've seen it in Prairie's Edge and things like that. Uh, and um <clears throat> Again, I just hope that, you know, we can get this nonprofit uh, out there in the in, in the Black Hills in that area and start working with the tribes out in South Dakota sooner than later. And 
you know, if people are interested about us, they can go to some of our websites like natives.org, which is N-A-T-I-F-S.org, or the Sioux Chef, which is Sioux-Chef.com, that's S-I-O-U-X-Chef.com. Owamni, again, is the name of the restaurant, and that's O-W-A-M-N-I.com. And, you know, we're just doing a lot of fun work, and we just, we're just creating a lot of jobs, and we just, uh, we're creating a lot of impact, you know, so um, we're doing what we can, and there's a lot of other great projects going on out there, and I'm just happy to be connected to a lot of really amazing people. Thank you so much for joining us for the Page Turners podcast. Make sure that you keep an eye out for the next episode. And until then, make sure to check us out on social media at Miss underscore Missouri River to keep up with all things literacy and falling in love with reading. Catch you next time.